Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So how would you rate the Bucks 2019 draft? Did they get it right with Devin White, with Kentucky defensive end Josh Allen still on the board? And the Bucks drafted another kicker? Oh, man, we've got that in the race. Sweep of the Red Sox at Fenway Park. All in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Verstick. Hey, if you'd like to be a sponsor to this podcast, we've got lots of new ways you can do that. Our advertisers have seen a ton of success and that's why they're sticking with us and so will you so for information all you have to do is this just reach out to us on twitter at sports day tb or you can reach me on twitter at nfl stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com love to have you be part of our podcast and be a sponsor okay steve so i spent a better part of well three days three whole days and nights it seemed like boy the draft just it is long let's just say that i mean 250 guys go uh, it can get it can get a little lengthy there, especially when they have it at night on Thursday and Friday. But the Bucks uh, made it through, and of course, we had debated going into this draft who would be available, which defensive lineman might be there at number five. It sure looked like Devin White was their guy. We've said that for a long time, but we thought with a caveat, you know, what if Quinnen Williams were there? What if Josh Allen were there? Um, you didn't, you know, didn't think that Nick Bosa would be there, but there was a good chance. You know, if this, the Arizona Cardinals took Kyler Murray, that somebody obviously was going to get pushed down. Even Ed Oliver wasn't sure how they felt about him. Well, that scenario came to play. And, in fact, it was a, you know, a situation where Josh Allen was on the board. Again, a guy with 17 sacks in the SEC, pure edge rusher, somebody that could play outside linebacker in a 3-4, drop into coverage, really athletic, really productive guy for two years there at Kentucky in that defense. And then you had Devin White, who they had a need for at Mike Linebacker with Quan Alexander moving on to the 49ers. Worthy of a top-five pick, very little doubt about that, but a position that is generally not placed with as much value as, say, a guy coming off the edge that can get the quarterback on the ground. So when it came right down to it, it turns out that Devin White was their guy, and there might have been another player in the draft, I'm guessing Conan Williams, that they might have moved off Devin White for. But in talking to Bruce Arians, he said he made his decision, or they made their decision, more on that later, but they made their decision six weeks ago, six weeks ago. So they were pretty much locked in, and they, the, the way they played it out in their heads, the scenarios were that unless Oakland took them in, Arians admitted he was a little nervous because Oakland had him in on a visit. But unless he unless Oakland took him, they were pretty certain that he was going to be there for them at five. And I think the rest of the league was too. It's rare sometimes to see, you know, your guy locked in at, you know, that far down in the draft and it actually turn out to happen that way because very often teams get nervous if they're, you know, if their player keeps showing up in mock drafts. Now that was the case with Kyler Murray. I think that Arizona, sort of late before the draft, maybe the week leading up to it, 
tried to put out signals that eh, maybe we're not so wedded to Kyler Murray, and they started saying nice things about Josh Rosen, who was eventually traded to the Miami Dolphins. But it was all a smokescreen, as was we can get into the Giants' decision to take Daniel Jones, the Duke quarterback, unbelievably at number six. But Devin White was going to be their guy, and both our columnists, John Romano, Martin Fenley, thought, you know, good player, nice kid, wrong guy. And I think probably a lot of people thought that simply because, not nothing against Devin White, but that Josh Allen plays a premier position in this league. And for a team that, you know, went 11 years without double-digit sack guy until Jason Pierre-Paul did it last year, it just seemed more likely that maybe the Bucks would go that direction, but they did not. You know, the more I thought about this, and, and I was in the Josh Allen camp too, just knowing that mm-hmm. the defensive line, you know, to me – after, outside the quarterback, the offensive line and the defensive line, you can never draft enough of those guys. Sure. And you should be drafting some every year in those positions because mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the lifeblood of your team. Then you build, you build from the trenches out. But let's think about this. Bruce Arians came in. Jameis Winston's his quarterback, and they're here to win now. Mm-hmm. They have some defensive linemen now. Yes, JPP's getting old. Carl Nassib will be a free agent at the end of this year. Noah Spence, not sure where you're going to get out. But they do have some defensive linemen. And Gerald McCoy is still on the roster. We don't think he's going to be. But maybe there's a scenario where they are going to keep him. They don't have any linebackers on this roster. And there was only two linebackers in this draft to get. That's true. And so if you're playing to win now, not next year, not the year after that, not build for the future, you're playing to win now, and you have essentially Levante David as your linebacker, then maybe Devin White was the best pick for them. Well, I think that's the way they felt, exactly. And I talked to Arians about it, and you are 100% correct. I mean, and I've always said this. I've said it on the podcast many times going into this draft. The teams always talk about how they want to take the best player on their board, um, you know, the the player uh, that rates the highest regardless of position. What they really mean is it's a tell for them. It's the best player at the position of their biggest need. Now, they weren't going to reach – you know, for a guy that wasn't worthy of a number five overall pick. And you're right, there were only two linebackers, Devin White and Devin Bush, who went to the Pittsburgh Steelers. After that, you'd have to go into the third or fourth round before you'd find somebody worthy of a draft pick at inside linebacker. But just look at their needs. And we don't know what's going to happen to Gerald McCoy. They've been on both sides of this coin. I maintain still that they can't sign their draft picks without cutting a guy like McCoy. He's not going to play for $13 million here. I don't think he's going to take a pay cut. So I think the only way he does play in Tampa Bay is if they somehow agree to pay him the $13 million. But that aside, the the change of this defense is key from a structural standpoint too because now your defensive ends like Jason Pierre-Paul and Carl Nassib are considered outside linebackers. And some of them may have to drop in coverage. Some of them may not. But they've got some guys off the edge, as you mentioned. Noah Spence will probably be more suited for a 3-4 he just happened to get drafted into a 4-3, but this is really the position he should be playing. And they also signed Shaq Barrett from Denver, who can also come in and play that as well. So they're covered for this year. And I always say this, if you have to play a game tomorrow, how do you look? And they had two days or three days of minicamp prior to the draft, and they looked out on that field, and they see Kevin Minter, who was cut by the Jets and Todd Bowles last year, and was drafted by Arizona in the second round. Certainly hasn't filled up to his draft status. But Kevin Minter on a one-year deal. D1 Buchanan, who they got, again, from the Cardinals that they had drafted. 
he's there on a one-year deal. And, you know, then you go to guys like Devontae Bond, right, and Riley Bulla. And those are just not NFL starting linebackers because Kendall Beckwith is – the news is all bad on him. I don't anticipate he'll be playing this year. Um, I think he's consulting with specialists. And so you have, you have Levante David. And, look, Levante David is 29 years old. He's still a hell of a player. But I always say, you know, don't expect the guy as he gets older to stay healthier. And Levante is going to be 20. He's 29 years old now. And he missed, you know, five games over the last two years. So if he were to go down, what would you have? How would you even line up and be effective? So they deemed a long time ago that they needed, as you said, a quarterback and a quarterback of their defense. I mean, Jameis Winston is is the reason Bruce Arians is here. But where is Todd Bowles' quarterback? Well, now he's got him. And I'm here to tell you, um, I'm so impressed with Devin White having met him. I was impressed with him at the Combine. When you hear his story, and we'll tell it in just a minute, let you hear from him about it, it's it's really inspiring. Where this guy is from, just a couple miles south of the Arkansas state line in Louisiana, in a tiny little series of towns called, you know, Cottonwood is where he's from. There's a blinking yellow caution light. He doesn't have a stoplight in his town. and all the neighboring towns, very few of them even have stoplights. So, I mean, it's he is all country and was a guy that wasn't playing football early in his career or in his life, really. And we'll tell you that story about how he got into it. But, you know, this, this guy has been special from the time he was in youth league through high school at LSU as a sophomore captain and junior. And, you know, he's... 240 pounds and six foot tall and can run a 4440. He's better than Quan Alexander. He's a lot better than Quan Alexander. And he can do things Quan Alexander couldn't do. And in this defense, as Arians explained to me, and you'll hear from Bruce Arians as well, that, you know, in this defense, pressure doesn't come from the edges for them in as much as, yeah, you want JPP, you know, to, to be there and, and, and get his 12 sacks if he can, or somebody come off the edge with, with Nassib. But really what they do is they bring guys from all over the place and they move people around. And so you're going to see pressure up the middle, a lot of double gap, you know, double A gap blitzes from their linebackers. Levante is going to blitz a lot. This guy is very successful as a blitzer. There's going to be somebody they can even put outside and come off the edge if they wanted to. So they generate pressure through dialing up pressure, not necessarily, you know, I think people, as Arians explained it to me, he goes, you know, Look, for how many years, you got to go back to, you know, like 1990 when the last time the Bucks ran a 3-4 under Ray Perkins. And ever since then, it's been a 4-3. You know, the Tampa 2 is branded. And so everybody's used to four down linemen. They put pressure on the quarterback. Not a lot of blitzes. The ends are the guys. You know, it's great if you have somebody in the middle like Gerald McCoy and before that Warren Sapp. But at the end of the day, like everybody else, you know, the value is defensive end, defensive end. Well, he gets pressure a different way. We blitz up the middle of town, mm-hmm. and he is, when you watch him come off the edge, he's something really special. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to use that with Levante more than we've ever had in the past. And I think our fans and everybody thinks that they have 4-3 defense, mm-hmm. which is not what we play. So it's not a guy sitting in the middle just running sideline to sideline. Uh, he's a very disruptive player. And we build everything on disruption. And uh, so, yeah, he was like the perfect fit of all fits for us. And you have to have versatility. You have to have – if you bring linebackers downhill to blitz, you better have some safeties that can cover. Um, You better have corners that can play press coverage on the outside. 
And you better have linebackers that can run because, you know, when teams see the blitz, they throw it quick and they throw it out in the flat. And you have to have guys that can change direction and run down Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey. And that, my friends, is exactly what Devin White is. He was a running back uh, going into college, had over 5,000 yards in high school, 81 touchdowns. He's got incredible uh, agility and the ability to, to move with linebackers, to beat guards to the spot. Um, to read and react again to you know his blitzing ability is great so he is sort of the 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 antidote to having guys like Kamara and Christian McCaffrey and those sort of players and if you remember back to last year the two games that the Bucks on defense got absolutely crushed was Chicago and at Carolina and Chicago had Tariq Cohen right where they just flipped the ball out there on the edges Tariq Cohen had like a hundred and I don't know twenty yards receiving in a touchdown, and you know, and then you think about, and they were behind in that game. I don't know, it was something like thirty-five to three at halftime, and then you think about at Carolina the way Christian McCaffrey just went off as a runner and a receiver, and they had other guys running double reverses for touchdowns, and so I think you know just to make this defense work and to have somebody who's going to be at the center of it because we don't know how much longer Levante is going to play, and we don't think Gerald's back. This is, the, this is the quarterback they want on their defense. So if you listen to Bruce Arians talk about what he's trying to accomplish, it makes, it makes a little more sense. Having said that, don't be surprised if Josh Allen tears up the NFL this year because that's just the way things go, right? Well, that is the curse of the Bucks, correct? The no player doubt. you don't take tears it up. That's right. You get the you know, wrong Derwin guy. Derwin James, Dalvin Cook. Yeah, all the time. I can go back to, you know, Keith McCance or Junior Seau, you know what I mean? I mean, it just it just happens like that a lot. And so they have to hope that, you know, I know this about, you know, barring injury, let's just say, uh, and anything can happen, obviously. But Devin White's going to be a very special player in this league. Like, he's going to be really good. And I don't know if he'll win rookie of the year. He could. He's going to be on the field every down. But he's going to be a very impactful player, just, again, by virtue of the position. You know, your leaders on a football team, whether they want to be or not, is your quarterback and your Mike linebacker. Because why? They're the only guys that talk in the huddle. And they're the guys that have to hold everybody else accountable. And they have to understand everybody's job on the defense and everybody's job on the offense. And then they have to go out and they have to execute and communicate and all those things. And, I I mean, Devin White's not afraid of anybody. He talked about the challenge of facing those – quarterbacks in the nfc south and you know he was funny talking about he was just like you know well i know i'm fast enough to run down cam newton the harder the bigger they are the harder they fall and i know drew Brees can't run away from me but if he gets it out in the flat i'll run those guys down and you know he he just has this he just oozes confidence now you know right now it's just a lot of talk let's see what happens in the game big guy but uh, that's the swag that Bruce Arians is used to. And when he came to visit Tampa for his, like, 30, you know, you get 30 players that can do the on-campus visit, um, they didn't even talk about football. They just they just talked about, you know, sort of his life and, you know, his leadership. And that's, that's what you hear about Devin White, as good of a player he is, and the film sort of speaks for itself. I mean, it's a highlight reel every time you put it on. It's really about his leadership, you know, his ability to – to get guys to elevate their games around him. And I don't think he's going to be intimidated at 21 trying to tell a 10-year veteran what to do. I think, you know, he's going to hold other players accountable, and, and he's just a, he's just special that way. But 
you know, it is going to always be Devin White and Josh Allen now for the Bucks, Mark, much like it was, you know, what Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Now it turns out neither one of them are exactly lighting it on fire. But I think this one is going to be uh, this is going to be scrutinized for a long time. So I wrote a story on Saturday. You have a chance to go back and look at it. It's on TampaBay.com about Devin White when he was introduced on Friday. He's a likable guy from the get-go. But when you delve closer into his background, it's really amazing, first of all, that he's made it to this level uh, coming from a place where, quite frankly, not many football players are found. Nobody goes down there, really. He lives in a remote part of Louisiana just a couple miles from the uh, southern border of the Arkansas uh, state line there. And he's in a little town called Cotton Valley, Louisiana. And there's a bunch of little towns all through there, Cullen and different different places like that. And in Cotton Valley, as he said, you'll drive right through it because the, all that's there is like a blinking caution light. So it's, it's pretty amazing. And you know, back uh, in the day, back in like the late 70s, uh, 1979, um, International Paper Company, uh, pulled out of there, and uh, the population fell below a thousand. So you can imagine how small this town is, and the the household income there is is below. It's like twenty five thousand a family, which is really low. So White was uh, a kid that you know tried to play football when he was seven years old. They had a youth league in in nearby Cullen, and he was with this team called the Cullen Saints. But he was playing up. I mean, there was there was a bunch of nine and ten year olds he was playing with, and he scored all the touchdowns as a seven year old. But they lost every game, and then eventually the league just folded, and so he became a basketball player. And that's that's what you do in these small towns if you don't have organized, you know, athletics or little league that sort of thing. Everybody goes to the gym and they play basketball. Well, there came a day when um, a man named Sean Houston who was a former football player from Northwestern State in uh, Natchitoches, Louisiana. He moved there, and he wanted to you know, sort of begin a youth football program. And so naturally, he went to the Cotton Valley uh, gym to look for his recruits and let them know that he was starting a youth football team and that sort of thing. And he saw you know, a bunch of like 13- and 14-year-olds playing basketball, and there's this one kid that was 5'11", and he was dunking the ball. I mean, he was going up against these kids. And so he asked somebody, who is that? And they told him, they said, that's Devin White. And he said, well, how old is he? He was 10. 10 years old, he's 5'11", dunking on, on guys. And so he went up to him and said, hey, you know, we're starting a football program. I'd love for you to play. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is that Devin was like, no, nah, man, I'm, I'm sure you're a nice guy, but I'm done with football. I'm a basketball player. I mean, that was his whole thing. He was a basketball player. So I played when I was younger. I didn't like it. And it, it was mostly because they lost every game. Um, but he says, well, you, I really, you know, we're going to have tryouts. You, know, you really should come out and all this stuff. And so he said, you know, they, they organized the tryouts or the, you know, the whole program. And, you know, most of the kids in the town came out except one, Devin. He had nothing to do with football. Let's just imagine, you know, where this guy is now. And really it was sort of Sean Houston almost tricking Devin into playing football that got him started because he knew this guy named George Shaw. And George Shaw uh, used to raise horses. He had this 168-acre farm. Uh, it was near Cotton Valley. And he would have trail riding parties. And he would get you know, kids on the horses. And they would have barbecue and stuff like this. Well, it turns out that one of Devin's uh, good friends was uh, Shaw's grandson, Xavius, or they used to call him X, X-Man. And so they would ride horses together. Well... 
they got X-Man to play football, and Shaw convinced White that, hey, if you want to ride horses and stuff like that, we're going to do it after the games on Saturday, so you might as well come and play because that's the only way you're going to be able to ride on the trail. So it was his, his love of horses and riding horses that sort of duped him into playing football, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, but then something tragic happened after that, and um, it's pretty amazing, but you know, it turns out that White had a stepbrother, uh, that he called, that, whose name was JJ, and he was about six, he was six years older than Devin. Uh, he came to live with their family because his mom married uh, his stepfather when he was four, and JJ was a football player himself, and he got Devin involved in a lot of sports and things. But at 19 years old, he goes on a church retreat to Texas, and the van he's traveling in has a blowout in the left rear tire, and it flips over five times, and a lot of people were injured. I think one woman was paralyzed. Only one person died, J.J., this guy's brother, you know, Devin White's brother, uh, stepbrother. And the man driving the van, it, it was the very same Sean Houston that was the guy that got him playing football. And I had a chance to talk to Sean Houston, um, who said that after that, and it was an accident, there was nothing anyone could have done, but after that he felt a certain responsibility to sort of become a mentor, and he's his biggest mentor uh, that he's had in his life. But you have to hear, this is Devin White, uh, whose brother, by the way, and this is the serendipitous part, was a Bucks fan. He, for whatever reason, adopted the Bucks as his favorite team, wore a Rondé Barber jersey, and the Bucks were his team. So when Devin was about to be chosen after the fourth pick, he didn't know where he was going, you know, he said a little prayer, and he can pick it up from there. But this is Devin White talking about... Uh, sort of how fate played a role in him coming to the Bucks. You grew up in a small town, obviously, and you, you were a big star, I mean, a great athlete early on, and, and you brought attention to that area. What, what was that like um, for you, and, and how proud are you of sort of giving, you know, that, putting them on the map a little bit? Man, it's such a blessing because, like, I mean, I didn't just not grow up in one small town. It's like... It's a whole community. It's like five different towns that's yeah. right there. Cottonwood, Spring Hill. It's Cotton Valley, Spring Hill, Sungaloo, Sarepta. Plain dealing. There's way many towns that, that I'm not even from that just feel like they're a part of me. Yeah. And then, like, if I get on Facebook right now and stroll up my Facebook, you're going to see me all over yeah. from other people just supporting me. And, I mean, that feels so good because I know at the end of the day I'm bringing hope to somebody else. Like, somebody else, can, anybody can do it. Yeah. You know, I was just a person that I put my mind to it. I knew I was going to stick with it. And I knew if I ever got in a bad situation and it might not could have happened, I was going to find a way to make it happen. And that's just the mentality, man, you know, that I always had just growing up. And I'm just so thankful, you know, to be – one of the ones to do it, you know, from that small area, because, you know, a lot of people don't give us a chance, you know, from up there, like, who could, you no, know, if you see where I'm from, you would not go up there to recruit nobody. You would miss it. You would drive right through it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just what it was. Country. But I, I, I put myself out there. I went to LSU. I went to those camps and I competed because I know that's what I wanted to do. So I put my all in it. Jay, you're, you're, it's just a caution light. In it's a, well, in Con Valley, it's a caution light. In Spring Hill, you maybe got you got three on the main highway. I can count them. You got one down, one downtown. So you got four in Spring Hill and Cullen. You got zero, nor a caution light. So in Cullen, Louisiana, you got zero, and Spring Hill you got four stoplights. And Sarepta, going through Sarepta from Cullen to Con Valley, they got one 
one stoplight, and that's right by the store. And then when you get to Con Valley, they got one caution light, and that's it. When you were growing up, your 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 brother uh, JJ, how much did he influence you to 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 be you know in sports, and and what'd you learn from him? Yeah, I mean, growing up, like, so he was older, so Some like serious, I was always yeah. watching him do the things, and like when it was my time, he was very supportive, like. To this day, I, I go look at his Facebook, and what's crazy is from when we was growing up, I got a new Facebook, so I'm not his friend on there. So I can't see all of his <laughs> right. posts, but I can see some of his posts. And I mean, I read a post where he was playing this little game, like, send me initials and a number, and I'm going to write how I feel about you. And I got it saved in my phone. Like, I sent him DMW1224, because that was my numbers in height when I was little. And he was just spoke so high of me. Like, my bro, the person that act like he's way older, like, he didn't hear you, very mature. And, you know, the sky's the limit. You're a true baller. Like, I remember him writing on my post. And, you know, every day I wake up, man, I just be thankful. You know, I used to be so hurt that, you know, Man, he was in that car wreck, and he's the only person that passed from that. Well, there's two people that passed from that car wreck, but the lady that passed, she was just um, paralyzed, but she got to live and got to spend time with her family before she ended up passing. But I didn't even get that chance. I wasn't even on the church field trip with them. I was back home. I got a call saying, you know, my mom and my dad had to, my stepdad, which is my father, he had to, they had to go to Texas because my brother was hurt. You know, they'd been in a wreck, and that's that's like, all right, that's cool, because he had been in many wrecks before he wrecked a dirt bike and towed some up and then he got hit by a four-wheeler and was back at home on crutches and that's that's all I knew as a kid like if he get hurt he coming home be all right but just this one time he didn't come home and I really didn't know how to accept it but I mean I look at it now it ended up being a blessing and just because you know on the field like I write his name on my cleats and I just feel like he there with me you know I don't know how true it is but some of the things when I, I watch film I do on the field I be like, it's nobody but God and JJ. And I mean, I'm just thankful, you know. And then just for me to link up with the Bucks, and he was a Bucks fan. You just, you just start to wonder, like, why did it happen that way? Yeah, Sean, Sean uh, Houston was driving, and he's yeah, he, be- and that's my mentor. He's become a mentor, or he was a mentor to you, right? Yeah, he's the guy. You know, he married a lady from Spring Hill, Louisiana. I mean, from Conval, Louisiana, and we didn't have football anymore. And he was, you know, he went to um, CE Bird in Shreveport. And he went to Northwestern and played, and he was working at the railroad with, with Miss Naomi Houston. That's yeah, her mother yeah, that died yeah. in the car accident. And, you know, he always just told me, like, bro, I'll never let you down. And ever since then, you know, even before then, he was in my life because I was yeah. playing peewee for him. And now it's just, it grew to a greater level. And because he knew that was my big brother, that was my mentor, that was the person who I strive to be like. And he just basically just filled in for him. Like, Sean, like, he's got a flights too. So he um he drove to Nashville. Like, he was, <laughs> I had him flights, and he drove to Nashville. But that's just to show you, like, he never missed nothing in the world. Like, when I went to the combine, he drove to the combine. Like, wow. he'd get on the road for me. And, like, he, I just, man, I'm just so thankful for to have a person like him and his knowledge of the game is great. Like, he, he know football. Like, that, he lead, he eat, sleep. Man, when he wake up, it's football, football, football. He quit his real job, you know, as being a principal and yeah. just interacting with the youth. And that also would help me with the youth just seeing the positive impact he have on the kids back home. Everybody, Mr. Houston, Mr. Houston. Like, you know, they want to come to his house and they want to just be around him. And that kind of, you know, uh, fed off on me. And that's kind of where I got that from as well. You, you were a great basketball player. He got you into football? Man, he begged me. Yeah. So I had played when I was seven. I was on a nine and ten year old team in Cullen, Louisiana. We was called the Cullen Saints. We played a whole season, and did not win one game. Oh, wow. 
I scored all the touchdowns. I was the running back. I was seven years old now on a nine and ten year old team, and I just told him like I'm I ain't playing football no more because because like the next year the team discontinued. Yeah. So he came to Count Valley. He put a team together when I was like ten. Yeah, you know, I was ten or eleven. And then I was like, bro, I'm not playing football. He was like, man, you got to try it. I said, I played football before. I showed him a picture. I said, I'm not playing no more. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't like it. And then he begged me, like, I see I see this in you. I see this in you. So I started off as a receiver for him, a linebacker. I played running back, quarterback. Yeah. And we went undefeated. So guess what? I like, I like football. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, just a, it was just a fact of, like, me being that young dude. Yeah, seven. I hated losing. Yeah. So yeah. if I was going to lose at something, I didn't want to do it. But once I started winning at something, I wanted to do it forever. Okay, pretty interesting story uh, that Devin tells. And, and, you know, I guess what wasn't surprising about this draft after you get past Devin White is the fact that they were going to, to select defensive players. What was surprising, based on what happened last year when they took three defensive backs, that they would take three more defensive backs. And I mean in a row, second round and two third round picks, starting with uh, Sean Bunting from Central Michigan, who is a, you know, 39 overall, who's sort of a physical corner uh, plays, you know, press coverage. Again, not at the biggest school uh, in terms of the Power Five conference, but uh, a really good player that they that they liked and, like, quite frankly, think that he, you know, either could start or maybe play nickel right off the bat. Then in the uh, third round, they take Jamal Dean. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today from Auburn, who was a teammate of Carlton Davis's, by the way, who they took last year in the second round. Uh, Dean has an interesting story. He can fly. I mean, he can absolutely run like a four sub four three forty, if you can believe that. And what's even more remarkable is that this guy has had three major knee surgeries. He started his career, uh, I believe, at Ohio State and, and was given a uh, was not cleared medically to play. Uh, they disqualified him medically. And then he went to Auburn, and the first thing he does is is blow out his knee and have to miss his first year at Auburn. So he battled back from all of that, and he's just a you know a tremendous athlete that can really, really run. And they they think that he can he can help them right off the bat. And then then they took uh, the other third round pick, number ninety nine overall, was Mike Edwards out of Kentucky, who's more of a safety. He can play corner if you want him to, but he's more of a safety, kind of a ball hawk a guy that's made a lot of plays and turnovers and things uh, for that defense up there, another captain of his team when he was um, you know, an underclassman there at Kentucky. So, you know, they go three straight defensive backs, which tells me that after watching what they had on the field in the minicamp prior to the draft, you know, Todd Bowles and maybe Bruce Arians weren't all that impressed with what they had done last year with Carlton Davis and MJ Stewart and Jordan Whitehead at safety. Um, you know, Justin Evans is not practicing still, which is, you know, considerable time after him finishing the season on our last year with a turf toes type injury. And those can be lingering and sometimes career threatening. So, you know, maybe they're a little nervous about that. But they take three defensive backs when you would have thought in what was tabbed the 
the best defensive line draft in the last decade. I mean, they're talking about defensive linemen for ages, you know, all the way through to the third round. And the Bucks come out of there without a defensive lineman at all. That's what shocks me more than anything. I mean, taking defensive backs, okay, that is a need of theirs. And, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe, the, you know, hey, it's, it's just like, you know, Cliff Kingsbury in uh, Arizona. That's right. You know, yeah, they picked Josh Rosen last year, but that's not my guy and that's not the guy I want. Sure. So is Arian saying that he's not really happy with the cornerbacks, including Vernon Hargraves, who will be a free agent after this year? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's saying they don't like him either. Or, you know, we don't know exactly what it means, but obviously they felt – they had a bigger hole in the secondary than, than probably we did going into the draft. Because I yes. don't think anyone foresaw them taking three defensive backs. No. In the first I don't three think rounds. So. Not after they did the same thing last year and they did it early, right. you know, in the second two second rounders and a and a third rounder. And so they kind of doubled up again on that whole scenario um with Bunting Dean and Edwards. And um you're right. I mean, I think, you know, they had some injuries last year at defensive back. You know, none of those guys we just mentioned, none of those rookies, Carlton Davis, MJ Stewart, uh, or Jordan Jordan Whitehead had a single interception. They combined to play for like 40 something games, you know, and not one had a takeaway. And that not Well, the Bucks didn't have any takeaways at all last year. I mean, they didn't, but it's unusual that you right. would not have a single interception out of those guys that started and played a lot of football. Yes. And so they're looking for ball hawks. They're looking for playmakers and guys that can, can go in there. And then the other, the other constant that we'll talk about is the speed that they have on this football team. It's obvious that either Bruce Arians doesn't think there's enough speed on this team or speed is extremely important to him because every one of these picks they took, well, maybe the exception of the kicker, is fast. I don't know if they timed right. the kicker or not, but. Yeah, it wouldn't matter anyway unless he's um, covering a kick or something. But, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think speed was a, um, a clearly a trait that, that, that all these guys have. And you look for that. You look for traits. You know, what, what are they trying to do with this draft class? What, what is the tell here? Uh, like we mentioned with Devin White, I think in this case, it's that they, they weren't all that happy with maybe the corners and, and thought they needed more. Uh, and then they wanted guys that can run and make plays on the ball. And I think that's what they did here. When they finally got out of the third round, it wasn't until the fourth round that they actually grabbed a defensive lineman in Anthony Nelson, who's a six foot seven guy, very tall um, to be playing, you know, football in general and defensive end because when you stand up, you know, those guys, you want to, you know, low man wins in football. And so you don't want to give them much to block. But um, Nelson is somebody that uh, has been productive at Iowa that, uh, will be in the mix to you know come off the edge and and be maybe at least a situational pass rusher um, and play you know outside linebacker edge rusher type thing uh, as a rookie but they get him in the fourth round out of Iowa and then the the, the controversial pick of course came in round five when the Bucks took a uh, Utah place kicker Matt Gay now you know nothing wrong with this guy in terms of his credentials he's the Groza Award winner was exceptional at Utah. Never had to make a game-winning kick, by the way, which is kind of odd, but um, that's what he told us anyway. But after all they had been through with Roberto Aguayo, and I recognize, look, this is the fifth round, so let's let's start there. Let's let's remember that they didn't trade up to get this guy. They didn't use other resources, other draft picks to move up to get him. They got him in the fifth round. Now, could he have lasted through the draft and signed him as a free agent? Yeah. They'd have been competing for him, though. And so that would have been a bidding war in terms of signing bonus and stuff like that. 
And so a lot of times when you get down around the fifth, sixth, seventh round, rather than wait for the guy to become an undrafted free agent and have to compete with all the other teams, you just draft the guy. You draft him and say, you know, look, there's not much difference between what we're going to get here in the fifth round and what we would get the next two rounds or even in free agency, but we do know we want him. The question is, how bad did they want him? Because, I mean, if you go back to what they did in the offseason, they took a, a punter, a free agent punter from San Francisco, paid him $3 million in Bradley Pinion. Now, Bradley Pinion's a really good punter, but one of the one of the carrots that he brought with him is the fact that he kicks off. And why is that important? Well, because they had re-signed Cairo Santos, whose weakness is kicking off. And any kicker will tell you that if they have to spend practice time and um, you know, potentially exposing themselves to injuries uh, kicking off, that that takes something out of their game as a field goal kicker. So they had sort of you know, strategized that, well, you know, and, and Lynch was very upset about it because he didn't want to lose the guy, John Lynch of the 49ers. But they got a punter that could kick off so that Santos would be more effective. And yet, here comes Matt Gay, who, you know, again, terrific college career, but so was Roberto Aguayo, a Lou Groza winner. It's just odd to me that, you know, you would spend draft capital. But as Jason Light said, and you'll hear from him, is that you take a, any position in the fifth round, it's not an automatic, um, you know, you're saying he's automatically made the team. It's uh, it's you know we want to bring in great competition for Cairo. Um, we'll let it kick it, kick it. We'll let them kick it out through the preseason. May the best man win. It seems to me that maybe Bruce Arians and his staff were a little more dialed into the kicking situation than maybe what Jason Light would have been. Because I I can't imagine that Jason would want to face the scrutiny of using a draft pick on a kicker again. Yeah, and I don't have a problem taking a kicker in the fifth round, but that wasn't a need on this team. You'd sign right. Santos. You'd sign Bradley Pinion. Your your kicking situation. I mean, is Matt Gay going to be better than than Cairo Santos? Maybe, and and maybe it is an upgrade. But I can think of a lot of other positions I'd rather have some depth or or needs on at that point in the fifth round. Sure, sure. Offensive line. Mm-hmm. A running back. A running back. Yeah. You know, a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You lost two of them this year: Deshaun Jackson and Adam Humphreys. That's right. You know, you need some depth there. I could. I would rather use a fifth round pick in that regard when you sign Cairo. If you didn't have a kicker on the roster, okay, it's a need. Yeah, if that was your plan, sure. Yeah. But to use a fifth rounder uh, 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 this year on him when you had the the kicking situation covered d- doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No. Uh, and look, you know, one of these days they're going to get it right. Jason has tried every which way. He's tried free agents. He's tried veterans. He's tried to steal kickers from other teams. Clearly, he moved up in the second round and, and got Aguayo. Nothing has worked, and we, you know, we've talked about the curse, you know, sort of of Matt Bryant. But and even Matt Bryant was available, and he didn't resign him. But Santos did a nice job when he finally got in there, and I thought that they were going to be. I thought he would be even better with Pinion kicking off, and then now it becomes a competition. So, best man may win. But you, the thing about a rookie kicker is just that. You really don't know how they're going to react to the pressure of NFL season or an NFL game. You know, he can be the Lou Grosser Award winner and be the best kicker in the nation in college, but we saw what what the pressure does to these guys. And when it goes bad, it goes real bad. So you have a guy in Santos who has done it for several teams for a long time. Um, you know, coming off an injury, he would be even better this year. And and they you know had the foresight to resign him and give him two hundred and two hundred fifty thousand dollars as a bonus. 
but now they're going to go most likely with a rookie kicker. Now maybe maybe he's bad, maybe he's really bad in training camp, and they say, oh well, we lost a fifth round pick. Um, you know, we'll, we'll go with Cairo. But it, it it just it seemed odd with the needs that they have in the sixth round. They get the wide receiver. I don't know that he's going to replace Adam Humphreys. He's a smallish guy. I mean, he's more built like Deshaun Jackson. But to talk about a guy that can fly, Scotty Miller from Bowling Green, really productive, uh, again, at the lower division of, of college, but um, just a really fast receiver uh, who dominated at times. And that's what you want to look for when you get some of these guys. He's not very big. He's only like 165, 68 pounds. Yeah, but, I believe he had his know, best he, games against their best opponents, too. That's right. Yeah, he, he showed up in big moments, and, and he was very productive, and so they're excited about him. And then the final pick, was an interesting guy named Terry Beckner, a defensive tackle from Missouri. Beckner was one of the best, was the best player in the state of Missouri as a high school player. He was, uh, I think he was Mr. High School. He was um, like a top five overall recruit. Yeah, he was a five-star recruit. Yeah, he got hurt. He had to battle through some injuries. But he is absolutely somebody that, uh, when healthy, they, they feel like they may have found something here. So, you know, hey, you needed a defensive tackle. You got a defensive tackle. But those guys, you just don't know. He's a seventh-round pick, might be a diamond in the rough. And uh, he's someone that they could assign as maybe an undrafted free agent. But, again, rather than, you know, compete with other teams for him, they went ahead and did that. So, Interesting draft, and then, of course, afterwards uh, was the uh, time to sign a bunch of undrafted free agents. I think the headliner is probably a guy named Bruce Anderson who went to Newsom, uh, starred at North Dakota State. He was a guy that was, uh, you know, on a couple, uh, three, in fact, uh, Division One AA National Championship teams there, and he averaged seven and a half yards of carry last season. So he scored nine touchdowns, but the, the biggest thing is that he showed in his pro day that he has really good hands. And what they're looking for is a third down back. And he's got a real opportunity because Peyton Barber can't play three downs. They're going to use him as their primary back. Arians loves him. they got to get Ronald Jones going, but he's a terrible receiver. He's not somebody you can really throw the ball much to, and he's certainly going to be somebody you rely on third down. After that, it's, it's Sean Wilson, who's in his second year, uh, did some things in the, in the return game. He was undrafted a year ago. Uh, and then um, and then Ellington, who they, you know, <clears throat> resurrected from the Cardinals. So really, it's an opportunity for him to come in here and, you know, maybe uh, maybe earn a job. Um, some of the other guys they got South Carolina, they took a guard, Zach Bailey, who I think because they didn't address the offensive line has a chance to get a kid from Charleston uh, defensive end named Kazin Daniels who's also a prospect. The quarterback they took, so they have four of them in camp, Mississippi State's Nick Fitzgerald, and you're going to keep four in training camp. Of course, we know that they um, seem set at, at the quarterback position even behind Jameis Winston. Uh, beyond that, I, I think the other interesting story was that um, Benny Testaverde Jr., if you remember, uh, Benny, of course, with 32 years ago, was drafted by the Bucks. Um, his son played a little bit at Miami, um, then he went on, I, I think, to play. I'm trying to think of where else he played. Um, well, it's not really consequential, but the point is he's there over the weekend for a tryout camp. He'll he'll get a chance to try out with the Bucks for the three-day rookie mini camp, which will be next weekend, not this coming weekend, but the weekend after that So, uh, or during the week. So that'll be something to look forward to. So that's it. Um, you know, th their draft, I would say, 
not well received by those who grade drafts, I guess. Everybody liked their first pick. They weren't real sure uh, why they didn't address the offensive line or maybe, you know, the defensive end. But, um, you know, it, Jason Light seemed, seemed very happy, and this is Bruce's first draft with the Bucks, and the first one that those two have done together since they were with the Cardinals. And they, they feel like they continue to rebuild the defense, which is where they absolutely had to focus on. But again, to not really spend a high draft capital on defensive linemen when it was, you know, certainly that was the strength of the draft. Uh, and not so much the fifth overall pick, but just somewhere in there, I think uh, was probably something that they probably needed to do. So we'll be talking about the draft all week. And in fact, I'm sure you guys have questions about it. Um, and we're going to do a mailbag tomorrow about the draft. You can ask other questions, too, if you have any about the Rays or the Lightning or anything like that. Uh, but if uh, you want to submit your questions to us, we'll use them on the air tomorrow. You can do that by sending them on Twitter, at uh, SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter, at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. So our very popular mailbag segment, especially answering all your draft questions about the Bucks and any other team for that matter. A lot of interesting drafts that went down, of course, with the Giants and uh, some of the other guys. Man, Daniel Jones, oof. Pick six, six baby. overall. Yeah, that's like I'm telling you, the New York tab. I feel for this kid because he didn't ask to be picked there. I think they could have gotten him at 17 or hell, maybe even the se- second round. But the New York tabloids just got all over Dave Gettleman uh, for taking this guy where they did, especially when Dwayne Haskins was still there and other quarterbacks. But yeah, he's already been given this name, and it's going to be hard to overcome because he was a six overall pick. They call him Pick Six. That is the worst. And so I think Eli Manning will. Uh, probably be able to keep his job and hold him off you know even though David Cutcliffe sent him there and he's a big Manning guy but I don't think it's going to be much of a threat to Eli at least in the short term and the thing is they could have had their choice I mean they were sitting there with Josh Allen on the board with Ed Oliver on the board a ton of every defensive player you can imagine and they need defensive playmakers but they went with Daniel Jones which was really interesting well when you find your quarterback you go take him yeah, that's I mean, the thing. That's your guy. If, yeah. if the quarter, if you find your quarterback, it doesn't matter what you give up to get him. Go get him. That's yeah. that's what I, they. I said. would agree with that. Yeah, and and you know, Gettleman said that he fell in love, quote unquote, after three series at the Senior Bowl. Wow, that's what it took three series at the Senior Bowl to fall in love. Um, so you know, but you're right. I mean, we saw the Texans do it with Deshaun Watson, which I think was a little safer pick. We've seen. You know, other teams like Kansas City move up for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, if you see your guy uh, and, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent, then he's there, and they they certainly got him at at the number six overall pick. So that was interesting. So your mailbag tomorrow, your questions, of course, about the draft, we'll be happy to do those as well. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays had a nice uh, weekend in Boston. They got one game rained out, which uh, wasn't so good for them, but they came right back and they sweeped the Red Sox in the final two games. Man, you talk about pitching. Can these guys pitch or what? That's a heck of a lineup that they navigated in two games. They did a heck of a job on the mound. How about Tyler Glasnow's 5-0 before we hit March? Incredible. He's going to be pitcher of the month, and he's the Cy Young Award favorite right now. Yeah, right? He's, he's looked phenomenal, and the changes he's made in his wind and, and some of the pitches, and today he even talked about how he's kind of adding a changeup to the mix that he didn't even use last week against Boston. That he's, been, he's been you know working with Kyle Snyder on. On the side, he used it for about nine or ten pitches today. But you know, just adding another pitch to his repertoire just makes him even that more dangerous. 
Well, and he's just attacking. You know, he's just attacking uh, hitters and throwing strikes. And when you see a guy like that with that kind of stuff, throwing, you know, putting you in the hole, yep. 01, 02, 1, 2. Well, when they get first inning ahead. leads again, which they scored again today in the first inning, Daniel Robertson, Incredible. a home run. Yeah. Uh, they've, scored, uh, they've scored runs in the first inning in 17 of their 27 games. They've outscored teams in the first inning 28 to 4. Yes. 28 to 4. Which, I mean, that's a nice way to start. That was part of the whole opener mentality is mm-hmm. that. The it first is. inning, starting pitchers' worst innings outside of once they finally get to the third time through the batting order and they're up at, you know, 70, 80 pitches and the batters have seen them yeah. twice. The first right. inning is the hardest inning for the starting pitchers, mm-hmm. which was part of the let's use a different pitcher to come in, a relief pitcher who's used to coming in, throwing gas, and getting through the top of the lineup so that your starter comes in at the bottom of the lineup to get into the game, so to speak. You know, whether it's Yanni right. Torinos or Ryan Yarbrough, whoever. And that was, that's kind of the mentality of it. And the Rays are showing how important the first inning is. When they're getting these leads in the first inning, it's easier to, to attack hitters when you have a lead. Oh, it absolutely is. And these hitters are not getting, you know, they'll see the, the opener maybe one at bat. And, you know, by the time the guy that comes in to pitch the bulk innings, they may only see him twice. So they never get that third time through the lineup that everybody mm-hmm. talks about where you see the percentages go way up with hitters um, because you're able to, you know, sort of get a feel for what the guy's trying to do, how he's working you his arm slots, see the ball better, all that stuff. Your batting average just gets better the longer you see somebody. And, and in some cases, they're not even seeing this guy more than once or twice. So that's, that's absolutely work for them. And how about the weekend they had, uh, by the way, how about Yanni Diaz and the way that guy is just destroying the baseball right now? Yeah, he's on a roll right now. And everything he's, I mean, you know, we knew everything he would hit would be hard, but now he's getting it in the air. He's leading the team in home runs. He's just seven. Yeah, he's just on yeah. a tear right now. And, and, you know, every at-bat, you think he's going to do something big. Yeah, he had a double and a triple. Well, one ball that was played into a triple, but they got up four to one. Uh, the other thing that happened was, you know, the, the back end of the bullpen had been struggling a little bit with Diego Castillo uh, and, uh, you know, Alvarado. But how about the guy that we talked to early on in, at the Rays Fan Fest, Emilio Pagan, all of a sudden, seems like a late-inning maybe closer type guy if you don't have the other guys ready to go. Well, he's kind of feeling you – know, Chaz Rowe has struggled this year. And Chaz yes. Rowe was kind of that seventh-inning guy last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Amelia Pagan coming on and getting three saves in the past week, that you yeah. know maybe now you've got that third guy for the back end of the bullpen as, as Chaz Rowe has, has not quite found his game from last year yet. I think he's starting to right. work into it, but he's not there yet. So now you've got Alvarado Castillo and Pagan, and then Caleric's your kind of lefty specialist that you can throw in wherever. And that gives you your last three innings of the game. Well, and they used him like, uh, you know, sometimes the, the leverage inning is not the ninth inning, but they used him when Glasnow got in a little bit of trouble. It was four to two, a couple runners on yep. uh, in, in, in the end of the sixth, and they bring him in, you know, to get the last out. Actually, that was the end the of the seventh. Inning. That was the end of the seventh. End of the there. seventh. Yep. End yep. of the seventh, right, to get him to get the last out. And that was maybe what sort of, you know, spun them into the deep part of their bullpen and uh, maybe saved the game right there. So even mm-hmm. though he won't get a save, it was maybe the biggest moment of the game that uh, he was able to get them out of after having three saves this week. So, yeah, Pagan is going to be a huge get for them. Look, David Price said it the other night after I think it was Friday's game. He says, the Rays aren't going away, folks. <laughs> he goes, they are deep. you know. And he's had to go through that lineup a couple times now. He's pitched against them twice, mm-hmm. and they beat him uh, the last time, obviously. But – uh, you know, he, he rec- you know, real net recognizes real, as Jameis Winston says, and, and that pitching staff is deep. And, uh, you know, if they get Blake Snell back healthy, that's going to be key. We didn't mention Charlie Morton, who's 
you know, with the exception of giving up a grand slam two starts ago in one bad inning, he's also been lights out during this. T- during he has. This he's letting a few, a few too many runners on, particularly some walks. But yes, but he's, he's getting, getting out, out of those jams. jams. He's getting out of them. Yep. But he's 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 using a few extra pitches in those. Now Saturday, the defense was letting him down, and he ended up. He probably could have gone an extra inning if the defense had been better behind him. Yes, they made a few That's errors, true. and it it kind of looked like they had you know not played in three days. Which is, you know, they hadn't played since, it was almost uh, 72 hours since they had played at that point because of the off day Thursday, the rain out Friday. And it was, it was cold in Boston too, so that doesn't help. But, but yeah, had the defense been a little better. But yeah, my only critique of Morton is he's letting a few too many runners on and then he's got to work out of it and he's doing it. But you'd like to see him be a little more efficient at times. Yeah, the Rays, uh, what, 18 wins now I think they have on the season or on the month? 18 and 9, which is one-sixth of the way through the season on pace for 108 wins. Just an incredible start to the season. I mean, you have to applaud what they've done. And the great thing is is that, you know, they got swept here at Tropicana Field. They lost their first series to the Red Sox. So it was close games, one-run games. And there are going to be a lot of one-run games. One was an extra inning game. Um, but to go back to Boston and get it right back, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of course, one game got rained out. But to have a sweep up there – uh, and, and get all those all those games, nearly all those games back um, and sort of almost even the series, I think that was that was a statement. You know, they went up there with a purpose. They talked about it. Mark Tompkin wrote a story about it in the Tampa Bay Times of how, you know, it, it, it's not obviously October or September yet, but it sort of had that feel of, you know what, we, we need to, to state our case right here and get these games back because that's really the only series they've lost the entire – I mean, think about that. They have not lost the series except for the Red Sox series yep. the entire year. Well, They've won and, every one of and them. And we talked about last week and how they missed an opportunity to keep Boston down mm-hmm. and, to, and to almost you know bury them further down. Mm-hmm. So by taking the two game and, and getting the sweep back, you're kind of putting more distance between you and Boston now. And the more dis- you know, everyone believes Boston at some point is going to wake up and be better than they are playing now. Oh yeah, they're too good. Yeah, I don't. At this point, are they going to be able to get to 100 wins? Who knows? But right. But you know, especially as, as bad as Chris Sale looks, he's zero five. I know, and I his know. fastball is nowhere near what it used to be. No, it's not. I, I don't know if there's if it's just age is catching up, or, or amount of innings, or if there's actually something physically hurt or wrong with him. Yeah, but you know, he does not look the same at all. And he's one of the most dominant left-handed pitchers we've seen in years. They let him go seven innings. He got stronger as the game went he on. Did. So I think he, I think he sort of wanted to be stretched out and. You know, maybe he found something late in that game against the Rays. But you're right. When you see velocity goes down, that's usually a warning sign. That means that that something is breaking down in your arm, your shoulder, your elbow. Um, for whatever reason, you're just not getting the same the same grunt, the same velo. Um, so they'll. I mean, nothing nothing has took him out of a game. He hasn't missed the start or anything like that. So I guess structurally, everything seems okay. But there is something, um, you know. And then those extra miles per hour. I mean, you go from 94. To 98, that's a big deal. You know what I mean mm-hmm. when you when you lose that much off your fastball. So yeah, he's he's lost. What is he 0 and 5 now? I think yeah, he's 0 and 5, which is yeah. You, know, you never Ooh. think he could do that. I mean, it's a guy that was a Cy Young contender the last two or three years for them, and of course, the ace of the staff. You know, winning the World Series. So yeah, Boston. Um, you know, dug themselves a pretty good hole in the month of April. Meanwhile, the Rays. Just continue to roll. Now they go on to Kansas City. Kansas City and Baltimore. Struggling. So you've got a chance yeah. to, to do eat up this week. Seven games. Yeah. Now you've got a lot of rain in Kansas City. There might be some uh, rain delays coming up the next few days. But. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and that's the other thing that I, I applaud the Rays. You know, they go into Boston, and it's just cold as hell. You know, although hell's not very cold, but, I mean, it's really cold. Um, and, you know, coming from here in the, you know, Tropicana field or just living in Florida, um, you know, baseball, I can tell you, when you have to hold a bat or grip a ball, it's not conducive to cold or rainy weather. It's just a tough, tough conditions to play in. And, you know, at a hostile ballpark like Fenway Park and, you know, all that. So, so for them to handle, they did that in Chicago too when they had a road trip a few weeks ago. It was lousy weather. And so, I, you know, I think that's all part of it, you know, just the ability to be resilient. Um, you know, they got some injuries. Meadows is still out, obviously, but they have not slowed down a bit. And it's just been, well, one of the, the best months they've ever had in the history of the franchise, the way they're rolling right now. And you just, you know, they got to get Snell back. They hope that they can keep it going. Also, the Tampa Bay Lightning, we're still not done with hockey season, although it's weird, man, to see the playoffs and the Lightning not being in it. I can't get into it very much. Now well, the Capitals are eliminated. Every division winner has been eliminated. Um, so, you know, it, I guess if you're a, a Carolina Hurricane fan or – They're up 2 you know, nothing over the Islanders. Yeah. I mean, they, they look like they could be – you know, they, all these teams, man, the Lightning just tuned all year. You know, they didn't lose a game to – and now you're watching you're watching these teams excel in the playoffs, which is kind of weird. Columbus is one one in their series, um, so you know maybe John Torrella gets deeper. We'll see if that can happen. But yeah, it's just really hard. But in the meantime, they have some awards still left, right? Yeah, ja- uh, John Cooper is a finalist for the Jack Adams Coach of the Year award. Nikita Kucherov, a finalist for the uh, Hart Trophy, which is the MVP, and also the Ted Lindsay Trophy, which is the Most Valuable Player voted by the players. I mean, I think he's going to win one of those, although, you know, some people might call it the no hard trophy with Kucherov. I don't know. Oof, the show Ouch, babe. Uh, I know. That's kind of harsh. That's probably too harsh. I mean, he did he did get suspended and didn't really show up in the playoffs again. But he, I think he's the MVP. I mean, if you look at the kind of season he had and the points he put up, um, the most by any Russian in the history in the NHL, how could he not? I mean, Cooper, okay, we'll see. And these are voted on before the playoffs, by the way. Thank goodness. Yes. Yeah, I think Cooper loses the coach of the year. I think Barry Trotz will win that from the Islanders. That's what I th- I would agree. Um, and But I, Kucherov should be the MVP. I, I can't see He'll, a scenario he's not. With how, how far he finished ahead of everybody and how dominant he was oh, yeah. in the best season scoring-wise in over 20 years. Yeah, and also carrying a team to a NHL record 62 wins. Yes. I mean, that that's not done without – a phenomenal season and he had the best of, of the best season of a lot of guys 340 goal scorers so he had the best season of all those guys so yeah he should definitely win the Hart trophy so we got that to look forward to as well so your mailbag tomorrow get your questions in at sports day tb on twitter and we'll answer those about the nfl draft about the bucks draft or anything that you have with the rays or the lightning and remember uh, if you'd like to sponsor this podcast, we got lots of new ways you can do that. So, again, information, we can give that to you. Hit us up on Twitter at SportsDayTB. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.